This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Hey, Empresses. The whole reason why I started this podcast was because I am fascinated by the journey that entrepreneurs take in starting their businesses. And when I was introduced to today's guest, Adela Kirkman, um, her story was one that I had to share. She uh, was a waitress at Cracker Barrel um, when she decided to become a CPA and then bought her first business, which was her leap into entrepreneurship. And I love her approach. She now helps more women become acquisition entrepreneurs where you can kind of avoid the um, startup phase of a business by buying it. So in the interview, we talk about not only her story and what an acquisition entrepreneur does, how it works, where you can look for and buy businesses. Uh, But we also talk about why it's so important for more women and her mission to be able to share her information and be able to teach more women why entrepreneurship is one of the most impactful adventures that we can undertake. Stella, I, as we were, were talking, I, you know, I shared with you, I've been waiting all week to talk with you because acquisition entrepreneurship is something that's new to me. Share with everybody a little bit about who you are um, and what acquisition entrepreneurship is. Yeah, acquisition entrepreneurship truly changed my life. I mean, my tagline is even a waitress can buy a business because literally I went from a four-star server at Cracker Barrel. I don't know if everybody has Cracker Barrels in their area, but it's a down-home country cooking kind of thing. Um, But I was actually a four-star server at Cracker Barrel when I decided to become a CPA And I was looking for a firm to work in to get some experience, which I did find. And I ended up buying that firm after working there for a short period of time. And I literally went from picking change off the floor of my car at times. I mean, it wasn't always that way, but, you know, there were days when I was picking change off the floor of the car for a gallon of milk for the kids or a couple more gallons of gas. And through acquisition entrepreneurship, I entered a company that was struggling, um, but it was able to pay me a paycheck right off the bat that was more than what I was making as a waitress. And plus, there was a little bit of profit left over at the end. And the business actually made all of those payments um, for the business itself. So it never even took any money out of my pocket. So acquisition entrepreneurship to me was an absolute life changer. I'm still like wrapping my head around it. So I want to back up and... And here you are, you're a single mom, you're working at Cracker Barrel, picking up change off your car out of your car, as you said. What was the catalyst for I'll be a CPA? Like what was that initial transition? And then where? Because I think women tend to have imposter syndrome a lot. So 
where did you miss out on that that aspect and be like, all right, I could just buy a business? Well, you know, becoming a CPA, so my younger daughter was going to finally be in school all day. And I'd had a degree. I mean, I had a degree in finance and economics, and I'd used it off and on. But then life happens, and I became a single mom with a couple little girls. And, uh, you know, waitressing was the perfect for that. It gave me just enough money to get by with lots of sacrifices. But I could still be the room parent and the Girl Scout leader and make dinner for my kids every night and still do all the mom things I wanted to do. So waiting tables was perfect for that. But as my kids were going to be in school all day, I thought, okay, I probably need to go and get a real job again. You know, again, nothing wrong with waitressing, but I have a degree. I probably need to get a a regular job and start using that degree and working on a different level of success for myself and for my girls. And so as I looked through all the help wanted ads, all the cool jobs um, required either an MBA, which I didn't have, or a CPA. I had no idea what I was getting into, but I thought, oh, a CPA, that's a test. I'm a great test taker. I'll just go take this test and become a CPA. So your laughter. Yeah. So you probably know more about it than I did at the time, because that's not quite how it works. Um, Even with my double major, I did not have enough credits in general or enough accounting credits to even be allowed to take the test, which is actually four tests. And, you know, some of those tests take, you know, four or five hours to get through. So I went back to college, you know, took a couple more classes, reached out to my network and said, hey, I'm going to be, you know, an accountant now. I'm going to work towards my CPA. If you know anybody that needs any type of accounting work, I'd love to, you know, just get some experience. And of all the people that I emailed, my 80-year-old aunt is the one that responded and said, hey, I think you should go to the place where I get my taxes done. There might be a spot for you there. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, I went into them, you know, had a couple of interviews. They hired me just to do drop-offs, which in the tax world, that's where you sit in a room at the back by yourself and you don't really interact with any clients because you don't know what you're doing. And I certainly didn't have um, you know, much tax experience at that time. But you do drop-offs and data entry and collect the documents from the clients. And then somebody else who does know what they're doing reviews your work, um, you know, make sure everything's right, fixes any errors, and then presents that to, to the client. Um, but the interesting thing is that the owner, a really great older guy named Ralph, fell um, on the first day that I was there working. He had lots of health issues, went to a doctor's appointment over lunch, fell on an icy parking lot, shattered his hip into a million pieces and never came back that entire tax season. So wow. that's a whole nother super interesting story. But his very small team, which I was happy to be a part of, we really pulled together and essentially saved that business for him. And when he came back, I said, hey, you know, I'm chugging along, working here towards my CPA. And if you're ever interested in selling, I would be happy to buy. And we can go into all the details, you know, as much as you'd like, but it was really within like 18 to 24 months from that time when I first started working for him and working towards my extra credits and the tests and buying his business. And what was the leap for you from I'm going to work in the business to now I'm going to buy the business? Well, I'd always done entrepreneurial type of things in my family. Lots of family members are always self-employed. And so, and you know, frankly, I'm not really that great of an employee. I like to do my own thing and do it in my own way. And so it was just, and I, you know, lots of little things, you know, even waiting tables is entrepreneurial because, you know, you pay $2 an hour and everything else comes from your tips and so it's really dependent on, you know, how well you serve those clients, how much money you're going to make. I've sold real estate before, you know, that's all commission with my finance and econ degree. I was, you know, selling investments and financial services. And so I've always had 
even if I was in a job, it was still more of an entrepreneurial type job. So I just knew I was ready to do my own thing. And I really thought that the CPA designation would give me kind of that credibility to take that next leap. Yeah, absolutely. I catered for years um, when my kids were little and started as a server, worked my way up into having my own business. But what I loved about it and it was definitely entrepreneurial, I think the waiting tables would be similar. You get to make your own schedule. The relationship yeah. you build with everybody is, you know, fills the, creates the tips. And um, I knew what I was going to make and on a given night, roughly. Right. Roughly. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And you're moving around. I got with cash every day. Yeah, it was nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little tough on the body sometimes, but uh, but definitely I think a great way to make ends meet and and play with that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I am similar. I'm not employable and uh, like making my own schedule. So it's nice to you know hear that that I'm not the only one. Um, definitely not. I'm right there with you, me. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a number of us too, but. A lot of times, I think that path to not fitting in and being okay with it can be challenging and feel like you're kind of on the outside too. Yeah, it seems like all the things I've ever been interested in, whether it was, you know, I started out as an electrical engineer and, you know, I was practically the only female in any of those classes. I've ridden motorcycles since high school. And, you know, it was at that time, it was really Queen Latifah, if you know who she is. Queen Latifah rode a motorcycle and I rode a motorcycle. And those were about the only chicks that I really knew that were riding bikes at that point in time. So, you know, I'm kind of a tomboy anyhow, but, you know, all of the activities, I've almost always been the only female. So I'm really comfortable in that scenario, I guess. Yeah. So circling back into your buying this business, CPA accounting business, what's next for you? What's next for me from this point on? From that point, from that point on, yeah. Like what? Oh, from that point? Yeah. Yeah, so I actually ended up buying it with another gentleman originally. So it was kind of an, an unusual arrangement. It was two very separate tax practices, but they were sharing office space and overhead items. So they shared um, telephone number, they show, shared fax number, they shared the office space directly. One of them, um, they piggyback off of each other's software and things like that. So I was working for the older gentleman with all the health issues. And like I said, you know, he was getting to the point where he was ready to sell. We definitely had that conversation and went pretty deep into selling it to me. But as I said, I didn't have a lot of experience at that point in time. I was just getting my CPA license. About the only taxes I had done up to that point were um, a few returns for my brother's friends in exchange for alcohol. Um, so, you know, not a lot of experience back there to be transitioning your business over to. Mm -hmm. um, and the other gentleman that had the separate tax practice, he didn't really want um, another business to run. He's more of the typical accountant. He wanted to sit there and crunch the numbers and do the work and not have, you know, a whole team to manage and that many more people to be involved with. So, but he also didn't want to lose control of his phone number and his office space and all of that because he was the person that came in, you know, secondary in that um, overhead sharing relationship. And so he approached me and said, hey, you know, would if I bought this business, would you run it for me? I was like, oh, I love that idea, but I do not want to do that as an employee. I would love to be an owner with you. And I said, you know, I'm really upfront. I said, you know, I don't have any money. My credit is not super great at this point in time. I said, but, you know, I'm, I'm a hard worker. You've seen me work here. I'm great with the clients. You know, I'm an accountant with a personality, as it turns out. And so he thought about it and came back to me and offered me a 51-49 deal with me, obviously taking the 49% ownership. 
Um, we didn't really spend any money out of our pocket. There was zero that came out of my pocket. Doug did offer um, about $10,000 to buy the office equipment, furniture, you know, computers and things like that, um, which I ended up paying them back, you know, for half of that. But all of the payments for the actual business itself came out of the business. It was based on an earnout. So essentially, whatever revenue came in from Ralph's clients that we were buying, we paid him a percentage of that. And I just wrote him a check every month. Which is amazing to me, right? I just, I fell in, I don't know, you say I fall into it, but I have a way of creating whatever I want. So I have to be careful, you know, what I wish for, so to speak. Um, but it was really a great relationship. Um, Ralph stayed on and worked as an employee and was super supportive. And Doug was there as a mentor for me, you know, still running his practice. He was very much behind the scenes in this practice that we bought together. But it was always, um, you know, well, what would Doug do in this case? You know, there's no need to recreate the wheel because Doug's already doing it right here very successfully. So let's just do it the way he's done it. And so that worked great for quite um, quite a while, a few years. And then it got to the point where um, he was no longer checking some of our corporate returns because that's where we were the least experienced. And when he decided he didn't need to check our corporate returns anymore, I thought, well, you know, if he's not really helping, so to speak, this might well be the time where I buy him out, which was a conversation that we had, you know, just kind of touched on briefly. And so we dove into that. And again, we agreed on, you know, an earn out. He wanted just really his half of the retained earnings, which is essentially money that he had been taxed on, but not been able to put in his pocket. And so I made that over two payments, um, again, out of just proceeds, profits from the business. And none of that came out of my pocket as well. And so after five years of paying both of these gentlemen, I ended up with an asset free and clear, no debt and lots of profit coming in. And you're getting paid the whole time. Yeah. And I got paid the whole time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm so excited about this because it gives women in particular, I think, an opportunity to level up and Definitely. to really do something that can make a difference, not only for them, but for their passion, for the people they want to help, how they can serve in a, a greater way. We were talking about this and I'm, we've talked about it on the podcast before, like only 2% of all VC funding, maybe three this minute, but it goes towards women. Um, I've read a lot of times that's because the VC world is still mostly dominated by guys, well-intentioned, but they don't identify with a lot of things that women are pitching because they don't experience them. Exactly. Sarah Blakely is a perfect example of that. She goes into a lot of depth about how she was trying to explain this product to all these men. And these men, of course, didn't get it. And yeah. they're trying to go home and ask their wives about it. And that's just not really how, how yeah. the funding process should work. And how you had this whole experience and now you help other people is, I mean, so easy to bring people in that want to be able to own a business and have whatever their experience is and businesses either go under or just close all the time. Yeah, very few businesses actually sell. I do a lot of in-person networking and depending on you know either side of the table that you're talking about, whether you're talking about buying businesses or selling businesses, it's just not on anybody's radar. I mean, anybody right. in general, definitely not on the, a woman's radar, but it's really not on anybody's radar. When I say, hey, you could buy a business, even if you already have a business, you could buy a business to add to it, or you could buy a business to get into entrepreneurship in the first place. It's just like a giant light bulb goes off and they 
it just it never occurred to them. Or even if they already have an a, a existing business, they probably started. You know, the fact that they can sell that business or that's a, you know a marketable asset that they can flip, so to speak, and pass on to someone else. A lot of times that doesn't occur to people either. So most businesses end up closing their doors. I mean, statistically speaking, I think one in 20 actually end up selling. Yeah, which isn't very many. No, it's not. It's not nearly enough. Yeah. And I mean, I'm thinking about it. The last like real job that I worked 100 years ago um, was for a marketing agent, a boutique marketing agency. Mm. And um, we helped create, I helped my boss create the exit strategy of like closing the business because he'd chosen not to sell, but he really could have. Like there's systems and just relationships that somebody could have taken the reins and, you know, expanded the sales um, if they had wanted to. You know, and uh, Ralph, the gentleman I bought the business from, he really, you know, could have done the same thing, but instead we set this up as an earn out. And I was, I think I was extremely generous because I don't think this was in our contract, but I actually paid him not only from revenue that came in from his clients that I had acquired from him, but also from the referrals from those clients. So it was super fun and felt so great that every month when I wrote him a check, it was always even more than what he was expecting. So, you know, that made me proud as the new business owner that I was doing well. It made him feel good because he was getting, you know, even more money than he expected. And he got to stay on and watch those relationships transfer over. Like I said, with all of his health issues, it would have been easy for him to kind of go home and, you know, sit in a recliner and not do anything. But he got to come into the office and he still felt valued and, um, you know, like a contributing citizen in the world and in his practice, because he did still have a lot to offer, even though he didn't really need, you know, the stress of running the business on a day to day, especially with his health issues. So it was just it was a win win all the way around. Yeah. The earn out, that's a great way. Wouldn't you rather have, you know, someone paying you every month? Yeah. Even than over closing your doors. Yeah. I mean, he just created an income stream for himself. Yeah. And it's it's essentially passive. Yeah. What are some of the challenges you've experienced as you've bought and sold businesses? Um, one of the main challenges is getting together on value. You know, business owners always think their business is worth much more than it is. I met with a female entrepreneur this morning and we were working on, you know, potential sales price for her business, a business that she started from scratch. But, you know, she was hoping um, for about twice what I told her I thought it was actually worth based on the numbers. And so, you know, it's hard to have that conversation with people and yet, you've got to know what it is. You know, I have this this pie in the sky valuation method, I call it, that sellers use. And they think, okay, I, you know, I need a vacation because I haven't been on vacation forever forever because all I've done is put all this month, time and effort into the business. And I want this new sports car and I want, you know, the golf club membership and I want blah, 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 whatever else. And they add all those things up and then whatever that comes to, that's what they think their business is worth. <laughs> Yeah. And how can um, somebody start to evaluate what their business is actually worth so that they they have a Yeah. So this is a great question. So I use a really simple formula. You know, business valuation is a very in-depth process and it looks at a lot of different factors, but it's also very expensive. And so a really quick, clean method is just to use a five-year weighted average of your EBITDA or seller's discretionary earnings, depending on what level. And that really means the free cash flow that the owner is able to put into their pocket on an annual basis. 
So if you do a five-year weighted average of that number and then multiply that by an appropriate multiple, which will vary a little bit, um, but somewhere between two and a half to three or four, depending on your industry. You know, if you're in SaaS or something along those lines, that multiple is going to be much higher. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Bits by Sell has a great insight report they put out on a quarterly basis. And I just looked at it for last quarter, and I think they analyzed over 2,000 business sales. And the multiple, the average multiple on those sales was 2.53. Okay, cool. So there's your... Your quick and dirty, yeah. easy way, five-year weighted average times, you know, two and a half-ish. Okay. And for the women who are listening who just was like, oh my God, that's so much because they're maybe they're not tracking, you know, their own numbers or they're, they feel like they're not as financially savvy as they could be. What are some steps that they can take to level that up a little bit? Yeah. So there's... And all kinds of things. So my first tip would be to really learn how to read your financial statements mm -hmm. because those financial statements have so much information to share with you. And even if, even if you don't know how to look at your financial statements specifically, even if you just start looking at them and I suggest every Friday or maybe it's Saturday for you, but you know, once a week, sit down and look through your profit and loss for the year to date and look at your balance sheet as well. And even if you don't know what each of those numbers really means, if you start looking for the patterns, that's kind of the first thing to look for is look for the patterns, you know, what's going up and should that number be going up? What's mm -hmm. going down and should that number be going down? And that will give you, you know, it's very basic, but that will give you the beginnings of some grasp on what's really going on in your business. But to really learn to read those financial statements and your tax returns as well, will will do a lot for you. Awesome. Yeah. And I want to mention, um, and I'll put the link in the show notes too. You had a great article um, come oh. out yesterday or today on balance sheets. That yeah, balance sheets are fun. You got to just look at the, there's a whole story in there if you just learn how to read it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll throw the link in um, for that. That'd so be great. Thank you. you. Yeah. Cause I, I thought like, oh, cool. Like great information. Um, and well-presented where a lot of times I feel like some of it's either too basic or like way over the average business owner's head. So you were right on target. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. You're welcome. For somebody who's like looking or who's now having this aha moment of maybe I, I do want to buy a business, where, where can somebody find a business to buy and how do you initiate that process? So I always tell people to look within your network first whether it's family members that have a business that they might want to transition, whether it's businesses that you frequent that you might be interested in purchasing, but look within your network, look through your cell phone. You probably have a million contacts in there that you haven't even you know, spoken to. Just like I did when I was looking for the CPA or the accounting position, just send the note out to everybody that says, hey, I'm looking to buy a business. Not quite sure how that's going to look or what's going to happen. If you hear of anything, let me know. So always reach out to your network. And then as you narrow that down and maybe have some specific companies that you might be interested in, um, I always suggest that you approach it as a partner or potential partnership with this person instead of, you know, if I knock on your door and said, hey, I want to buy your business. Oh, wait, slow down. You know, I'm not even for sale. So that can be kind of a tricky conversation. But if you knock on someone's door and say, hey, I love what you're doing. I saw I've seen this, you know, in the community and I, I saw this from you and I love what you're doing. And I have this mission that I think would partner well for that. Are you interested in some type of a partnership? And you never know where that conversation will 
lead, but it would be much easier like, wow, if you're ever, you know, want to pass this on or what's your exit plan, I'd, I would love to have an opportunity, you know, to be your buyer or something. Just it's a much softer conversation if you approach it from a partnership perspective. Right, right. I like that too, because it is an easy way to begin a conversation with somebody who might not be thinking it, but then have that aha moment of, yes, awesome. like I can, I can do something else. So. Yes, perfect. For somebody who has the business and wants to sell, what are some things that they should think about? So I kind of go down that same path. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do to prepare your business. Mm -hmm. If you really want to get serious about selling your business, you should really plan at least 24 months um, in advance. Get your financials in order, paint that picture, you know, cut your expenses, just work your way out of the business. That's why I tell people to plan for two exits. If you're hot and heavy inside your business and actively working in your business, that should be the first exit that you plan for is to work your way out of the business, meaning it can be more independently operated without you needing to be there every day, every moment. Right. Um, and then the second exit would be where you actually sell or pass that on to someone else. But yeah, plan ahead is definitely one of those things. Plan your way out of the business. And then again, reach out to your network. And you may not want to reach out to them directly, but start making that list of who might be your potential buyers. Is it an employee that could possibly step up? Is it one of your suppliers, one of your vendors, maybe your best customer, someone else within your network that has either a similar business or a complementary business? Um, wedding industry is always a really easy one because there's so many different things that go into uh, you know planning a wedding. But if you have um, you know a wedding photography business, who might that go well with? Well, the wedding invitation business would go well with that, or the cake decorating business, or the flower shop. You know, somebody that's up or down that level uh, of planning a wedding. So I always recommend looking you know within your circle in some fashion or another, whether you're looking to buy or to sell. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense too, because most likely you have strategic partners that would be interested that you aren't thinking of off the top of mm -hmm. your head. So, and what type of businesses are available to sell on any given day? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, if you're really just Toying with that idea, I mentioned BizBuySell earlier, BizBuySell.com. Um, it's just a great big website where it lists all different kinds of businesses for sale. And it's fun to look through. You can narrow it down to your county, your city, the state, or you can look at the whole country. But, you know, that's a great starting point. Just start flipping through there and see what kind of businesses are listed for sale. Most of them are listed with a broker. Some of them are listed by the owner. We can just get an idea of what all's out there, what kind of prices they're asking, what kind of things they're including. Some of them are including inventory. Some of them have real estate that they might be willing to sell to you. Some of them are in a uh, leased space. Some of them, you know, offer seller financing. Some of them don't, but that's just a really good idea to get, really good place to get an idea of what else out there and what kind of things might be available and just get, kind of get your wheels turning. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the whole, the whole menu of options. So you can yeah. kind of brainstorm from there. For somebody, yeah, then I would make a. Oh no, go I'm ahead. sorry. I, was say, I would also make a list of what you bring to the table. You know, do you have cash that you can put into a business? What kind of credit score do you have? What skills do you have that you can bring into the business? And how much time do you have to devote to the business? And that will help narrow down. You know, as you get to that point, more specifically, what business might be the best fit for you? 
Okay, cool. I really appreciate that because I think that'll be helpful for so many listeners. Yeah. For you, I mean, you're working on um, creating courses for for women, I presume, to um, you know start becoming acquisition entrepreneurs. How would somebody who is now, maybe they've checked out the website, they have some ideas, um, how can they um, work with you or how can you help them more directly? Yeah, so I'm available on most of the social media channels. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook. I have a free newsletter. People are more than welcome to subscribe to that. I try to give, like you said, good basic information in an easy to understand format that you can actually use um, either in your search or in your business as well. I do a lot of consulting as well. Like I said, I met with um, a business owner in person um, this morning. I do a lot of Zoom calls as we're all doing now so I can help people all over the country as well. Um, So yeah, there's all kinds of ways that we can work together. And we have the link to get your newsletter, which is shifting gears, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I got the whole motorcycle theme because I ride a bright <laughs> orange Harley. And, you know, who doesn't want to look at a girl on a motorcycle once in a while? So I right? use that to grab a little bit of attention. Well, I think it's a great, a, a great title. Um, I love the motorcycle play and it's accurate. Right, exactly. So what's next for you? So like I said, I'm on this mission to help create at least 10,000 acquisition entrepreneurs, and I'm developing um, a program for that. So it'll be both inspiring, training, mentoring, and even a partnership program. And that'll be the culmination of what I'm working on. I would love to have a a place where people can come, um, like myself, that already have some of that acquisition experience, and I can team up with, and other people like me can team up with women that don't have this experience, and we can actually buy businesses together. Um, So a mentoring partnering program, but not just let's get on a Zoom call and chat about it. Let's do it together. And um, and then depending on how that relationship, you know, works out, that new person could end up buying the more experienced person out over a period of time. They could decide that it's a great partnership that they want to keep going forever. But I would love to bring both sides of the those uh, transactions together into one profitable endeavor for everybody. That would be amazing. And I would presume make it a lot simpler for both sides and easier. Yes. Both walking away with better results. Yes. Because I mean, who doesn't want to teach what they know? I mean, not everybody's a teacher, but it's so much fun to pass that knowledge on and to help someone else. And that can be the perfect person. And that's what I had. I had a mentor when I bought the business and I wasn't doing it on my own. I didn't have to recreate everything. And it it worked out super well. He made extra money for fairly little effort. And I got the experience and I ended up with a a very profitable business on my own. Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. I love it. Del, this has been so much fun. I think I'm still like taking it all in and blown away at, at some of it, just the simplicity of how you've created this amazing opportunity and are able to offer already what's already out there, uh, particularly for women. And I got to get it on the radar because it's not on nearly enough people's radar right now. Well, it's getting there. It's getting there. But it for me, it's the more women take leadership roles, whether it's in business, like owning their own business or in corporate, the more impact we have in economically speaking. So this is such a logical, simple way to, to start doing that. Not easy, but definitely simple and definitely doable. Even a waitress can buy a business. (laughs) (laughs) 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's what I think is so cool. That's what I love about your story is that you took this leap that I think a lot of people would have just stayed in the same place. So, yeah. That's so fun. Yeah. Very courageous. Yeah. Thank you. It's a fun. And if my story can help other people, then I'm super happy, happy to help in any way I can. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for being on today. Yeah. Thanks, Emmy. I appreciate it. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you.